been relegated to the basement again. Um, there's nowhere to film upstairs. All my girls are home. Vicky is uh, teaching piano via Zoom in our bedroom. Outside, it's hotter than a hot tub at noon on the 4th of July. Uh, so here I am. It's not, you know, the prettiest background, but uh, at least I can yell. I can sing. No one will, no one will bother us down here. You like my new glasses, by the way? Just comment in the comment section if you, if you think they look good. If you don't, um, you can just keep that to yourself. Nobody needs to hear that. What's weird uh, is that recently, um, hairstylists were allowed to open up. And it was like the day that that happened, for some reason, I took a pair of clippers and started working on myself. And what happened was sort of a neo-Nazi thing. And I, that was not what I was going for. So I asked Vicky if she could sort of fix it. And uh, she upgraded it to sort of a South Korean dictator look, which is marginally better. Speaking of haircuts, Leela, our second born um, by a minute, she got her haircut. Uh, I mean, cute, right? Cute, perfect head for it. What's funny is that I could have given her that exact haircut with my clippers. And uh, instead, she pays whatever at the uh, boutique Rama on Main Street, anyways, would have looked exactly the same. But uh, I'm glad you're here, glad you're watching. We're in this series called Can You Hear Me Now? We're asking, is God speaking to us during this weird time? And if so, what is he saying? I finally came across uh, an actual COVID verse in the Bible, by the way. Oh, you didn't know there was a Corona verse coronavirus verse, coronavirse. And uh, it's found in Ecclesiastes. It says in chapter three, uh, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. I mean, talk about a verse for our times. And then the psalmist says, you know, give us clean hands. <sighs> These are dad jokes, am I right? Yeah. Sorry. Anyways, let's get to it. Uh, years ago, I read this book called um, The Shock Doctrine. And it kind of stuck with me and it presented this pretty compelling theory that when a major crisis happens, like um, a shock to society, a war, um, a 9-11, a Hurricane Katrina, a housing crisis, a social movement, a pandemic, there's gonna be sometimes bad actors, um, people in government, people in business, people with an agenda who will 
jump on the moment, take advantage of the moment to, to push a project or an agenda or um, a piece of legislation that serves their interests. So, you know, the French Quarter of New Orleans gets flooded and it displaces a lot of poor people. Perfect crisis to move in and start making gentrified high-end condos in the midst of the wreckage. Um, 9-11, you know, has made us all a little scared and paranoid. Let's pass some legislation that we wanted to pass for a while that makes it legal to tap anyone's phone or to take out an Iraqi dictator who really didn't have anything to do with 9-11, but the opportunity now presents itself, right? Or some South American country has a coup and it gives another larger influential country, maybe Russia or China or maybe the United States, to uh, secretly, quietly put in the leader of their choice. I know it all sounds very uh, tinfoil hat, conspiratorial, and I'm not even suggesting uh, the motives are always wrong, but every crisis presents an opportunity of sorts to innovate or maybe even manipulate. Okay, there are going to be winners and losers at the end of every crisis. There'll, there'll be a, a reshuffling of the deck. You know, some businesses are going to emerge from this stronger than ever. Most won't. Amazon uh, will be bigger than ever. Some major hotels are never going to recover. You, you follow what I'm, I'm getting at here? COVID is an accelerator. It's a disruptor. It's a revealer of sorts. Um, it's going to force the church to really look honestly at why we exist and why we don't. It'll force us to reckon with questions like, have we just been putting on shows? Just, you know, religious goods and services? And some churches won't survive. Aren't we supposed to be an evangelistic entity that is changing the world? You know, instead of a museum that just sort of nostalgically talks about the good old days. Um, what I want to point you to is a portion of the book of Acts that just has kind of jumped off the pages in these days of COVID. Most of you uh, know the story. Jesus uh, dies, is resurrected three days later, spends 40 days uh, afterwards on earth, ascends to heaven. But before he does, he tells his followers, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit and he'll come. And when he does, he'll supernaturally equip you to be my witnesses in Samaria and Judea. And hey, even the ends of the earth, you're going to be super evangelists. The word will get out. My message will spread. The church will flourish. And here's the aha moment. I had. They didn't do it. <laughs> yeah, they waited in Jerusalem. Yeah, they got filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit. But they didn't do the next part, the go to the ends of the earth part. They didn't go anywhere. Um, 
they didn't do it. it. It didn't hit me until recently. I thought they were like super Christians, but maybe they're, they're more like me than I thought. And I don't even blame them necessarily. They are on a spiritual high. They are filled with the uh, Holy Spirit. They're speaking in tongues. They just had a 3,000 person baptism service on day one. Um, that's Acts 2 right there, right? They're having a killer small group experience. Those of you who have had a killer small group experience, you, you don't want anything to change, right? Don't mess with the delicate balance of, of the people we know and how we're growing and the night we meet on, you know? Uh, these disciples get to stay in their homes in this world-class city of Jerusalem. They didn't want to leave. Um, it was too good to depart. I get it. I get it. Believe me. It takes until a crisis, actually. The persecution of Jerusalem, all the way later in Acts 8. And it forces the Christians out of Jerusalem to actually do what the Lord had commissioned them to do. And, and that was to spread the gospel far and wide. Um, let me just read it. This is from Acts 8 verse 1. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And you know what happened? The church exploded with growth. God took something evil, violent persecution of the, of the people of God who were proclaiming the message of Jesus, and he redeemed it. You know, the, the, the persecution actually became fertile soil of kingdom expansion. The church grows rapidly, way beyond uh, the borders of the city of David. You know, as the people were scattered, they end up spreading the message of Jesus wherever they went. And it expanded beyond the Jewish people, beyond the Samaritans even, and to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. This, this persecution was one of the key factors in the rapid expansion of the church. I mean, talk about a shock doctrine. And, and I really do believe that we are standing on the precipice of a historic kingdom moment. But the church must be prepared in order to seize the opportunity that lies before us. And even be prepared to embrace the purifying work of the Spirit in this season. I think for far too long the church has been focused nostalgically on maintaining its institutions rather than making disciples. So this crisis that we are in is forcing us to wrestle with the question of how do we make disciples in the 21st century with these new tools that are available to us, uh, all the internet options that are available. Because heaven forbid that we just go back to the old state of things, the old stale, ineffective patterns after this crisis. This isn't like 9-11. You know, that was an event, a tragic event that, that paused the world on its axis. But 
still, it was a singular moment in time. This is a prolonged hardship that is impacting the entire world and will produce untold economic pain and expose just all kinds of undealt with emotional and spiritual issues. And we have no idea when it's going to end. I mean, look, this is not going to come as good news to many of you, but historically speaking, revival seldom occurs in times of blessing or prosperity or comfort or ease. You know, revival is most often birthed in times of war and famine and disease and persecution. That's, that's the truth. And then the community turns to Jesus and souls are saved and lives are changed and society is impacted. Social reform starts to take place. The world is marked by the movement of God and it starts with the church. But something in the environment opened the hearts of those outside of faith to be spiritually receptive. It's what happened in Acts. The church was purified, filled, mobilized, on mission, and the Roman Empire was forever impacted. So, you know, I invite you to pray with me that God would turn these dark hours of history into steps of faith for countless souls throughout the world. And I guess as a, as a pastor of a church, I'm, I'm deeply interested in what God might be saying to us corporately, you know, as someone who's done a little bit of study on, on church history, um, I'm interested in how the big C church will be disrupted in this time, how we'll, we'll come through this, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, how this shock, this crisis will fundamentally possibly change how we do church. And I don't know the answer to that. I don't, no one does. I suspect it has something to do with an increased emphasis on smaller communities, home groups, but more on that another day. I think what everyone is asking right now is how this crisis might fundamentally be changing them, changing individuals. So, so let's bring it down from the corporate level, from the institutional level, from the 30,000 feet, and just get personal for a second. Look at, look at your life, look at my life, because the same principles of crisis, um, being a change agent, applies to us as individuals, not just to institutions, right? Crises, crises, crisi are often the gateway to change. Crisis is a revealer of things. Crisis really uh, does have a way of, of, of revealing the cracks in our interior lives. It's, it's one of the reasons why we're more open to change during times of hardship, because we feel these cracks in our soul and maybe, just maybe, we're finally open to, to receiving help. Uh, those of you like me who listen to the Andy Stanley uh, North Point podcast, 
may have just recently heard a really powerful interview from a family who survived coronavirus, but just barely. And it fundamentally changed them, in this case, for the better. You know, they, they trusted God more. It clarified their ultimate hope in Him. It, it made them more grateful, more generous. But crisis doesn't always change people for the better, does it? Are you, Knack, starting to see some of the cracks in your soul in this season of world crisis? Are you, are you feeling irritation and anger and depression and hopelessness that you can't quite put your, your finger on, but you, you, you're feeling it deeply in this season? It's revealing itself. Something we're going to have to do if we are serious disciples is we're going to have to learn how to wrestle with God, okay? We need to take time alone with God in these seasons of crisis and wrestle with God. Stay with those difficult feelings. Um, dig deeper into them until we, we actually find breakthrough. My man Lecrae recently tweeted, uh, I walk with a limp because I've been wrestling with the Holy Ghost. You know the story in the Old Testament of Jacob literally wrestling with God through the night. And some of us, at least figuratively, need to be wrestling with God as he reveals difficult and maybe even unseemly parts of our character. Like, let's say in a marriage crisis, the first thing you probably do is start praying about the symptoms. These are, these are God fix it prayers. Lord, fix my wife, fix my husband. Lord, fix our marriage, fix our conflict. Often those prayers can sort of just be surface prayers. They don't go deep enough. Sometimes for God to fix the crisis in our marriage, he's got to address the issues in our soul that are out of alignment with him. You know, the marriage crisis might be a, just symptomatic of deeper soul issues. You have hurt that needs to be healed. You have anger and you need to forgive. You have lies that you believe about your identity and you need to replace them with the truth. Um, you have fears you didn't even know were inside your heart that need to be driven out with the perfect love of God. That marriage crisis might be a gift, you know, a gift that will lead you to a deep, personal, spiritual breakthrough. Are you seeing some of those cracks in your soul? Can I, can I challenge you to use this time to dig deeper. Like, I'm sorry that there's no kind of quick fix to this. There's no scripture verse a day keeps the devil away, right? It's going to mean exploring some uncomfortable feelings and sticking with them. Um, sticking with God as he lovingly prunes. Uh, in fact, we're going to stay with this subject just even a little bit longer as, as Pastor Chris tackles it from a, from a different angle next week. Um, if I could even recommend a resource, a profound resource in my life, 
It's called Soul Care by Rob Reimer, a good alliance boy. And, and this is a book not to be read intellectually so much as to be applied and practice. It, it's a resource that has allowed thousands to get free. You know, it's also a week-long seminar uh, that I've been a part of, Vicky's been a part of, and I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but it's also a small group experience. And, and I'll just put it out there. Maybe if there's enough interest, that's a small group experience that we ought to do at NAC. Um, I'd also point you to people like, like Byron Hearn, like Elizabeth Stanley. Those are, uh, I think of a couple other names who, who are a great resource, not only in terms of their own library of recommendations, but who have actually walked with people so that they experience freedom. You know, this is a time to examine our hearts and lives, give ourselves fully and unreservedly to Jesus. You want peace? I do too. But there's no peace without surrender. We've got to yield ourselves to the Lordship of Christ in, in fresh ways, especially in times of crisis. I realize surrender is a wildly unpopular word, especially in the, in the Western world. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer once famously said in his book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's really an encapsulation of, of what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. I'll bet some of you have been to church your whole life, but Jesus has not had the center of your heart. He has, he has not been enthroned in your heart above all other priorities and all other loyalties. Today, Today is the day to go all in, to surrender, to put Jesus first. You know, and I'll close with this, but in Matthew 25, this is near the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, um, before he's crucified for our sins, before he raises again from death in victory. He's talking to his disciples and he's talking to his followers about being ready for the end. And, and then he tells three parables in a row, the parable of the uh, 10 virgins, the parable of the talents, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And I'm not going to read them all for you today. In fact, that's your homework for this week. Okay. Read Matthew 25, just read it. And uh, they are parables about being ready or unready for Jesus return, um, about being prepared or unprepared for his coming. They are, they are three stories that raise questions about who and what we really put our hope in, about how we use our time and resources in, in the relatively short time that we have, um, about how a Christ follower is a lot more than just about going to church or praying a prayer. Like, do you remember this those of you who've been in the church a long time, you'll remember this old evangelistic question that used to be asked all the time 
often to complete strangers, you know, so it kind of became a cliche. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd spend eternity? But let me ask you, if Jesus returns tomorrow, are you ready? I don't mean, have you prayed a sinner's prayer? And if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? That's a good place to start. (laughs) But that isn't the, the end game. That isn't all that the parables were asking. They're asking if, if the oil of the spirit is plentiful in your soul. Are you living in the current fullness of the Holy Spirit? Is the fire of God burning bright in your heart? Is Jesus your first love? Does your love for Jesus translate into your wholehearted investment into the kingdom of God? Are you you hungry and actively pursuing the presence of God? Are you investing all that God has entrusted to you into the master's kingdom? Are Are you actively, passionately, vigilantly engaged in the work of the kingdom? Are you doing the work of Jesus, giving to the poor, caring for the sick, helping the captives get free, attending to the least of these? The way you do it and the way I do it uh, may differ, you know, sort of based on our gifts and our calling, but all of us are to be fully engaged in that mission. What is being revealed in your soul these days? These are, these are tough questions and there usually aren't easy answers. I certainly don't have any for you today. There, there's stuff that you need to sit with for a while, meditate on, ask the spirit to reveal them to you. Search me, O oh God, try me and know my heart, know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And then, and then what does it say? lead me in the way of everlasting. God, would you search our hearts today? Would you test us? See if there be any wicked way, any, any mixed motivation, any manipulation in us. I, I pray that you reveal the idols of our heart. Uh, maybe we didn't even realize they were there until COVID came along. We didn't think that we had a a fixation on security and on sort of financial stability. And then COVID comes along and and we we feel the fear and we feel the hoarding and the protectiveness and and you you are revealing that and it's uncomfortable. It's 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 revealing parts of our soul and our character that we don't like. But Jesus, it's good for us. It's sanctifying us. It's conforming us more to the character and to the likeness of Jesus. So in that way, I guess, I guess I thank you, Lord, for what you are revealing. I pray that we would use this knowledge, even though it's, it's hard. It's hard to be shown a mirror of, of where we are idolatrous of where we are immature, but may we use that knowledge to, to grow in you, to mature in you, to bear much fruit, 
um, to grow in joy and in peace and in all the ways that, that you say Christians will be identified, not by our church attendance, not by our honk if you love Jesus bumper stickers, but by the fruit we bear, maybe even by the non-anxious presence that we uh, bring into the world. Thank you, Lord, that um, you're not just going to jolt us and not be there to comfort. You're not just going to condemn us. Um, you do this like a loving father who, who wants to uh, grow us and, and wants to make us better. Uh, I thank you that you care enough to, to reveal these things to us. Pray, Lord, that um, we not waste this opportunity. I guess that's my, my ultimate prayer. May we not waste this. Ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Boy, are you ever a loved people. You know that, right? I hope in the midst of this beautiful hot summer, but a summer that has closed beaches and closed amusement parks and all the fun things seemingly being, you know, ripped out from under us, I hope you're still finding a time to rest and enjoy God and enjoy each other, enjoy your family and and rest. I, I love how um, the psalmist says, uh, God gives rest to those he loves. Uh, you are loved. And so may you experience rest, even if your cottage plans got canceled, even if your trip to Wonderland is on hold. Um, I pray you would experience deep and fulfilling rest. Thank you for, for joining us. Thanks for watching church. You know what I'm gonna say though? More than watching church, I'm going to ask you now to go and be the church. God bless.